Welcome to Soul Forum. We're delighted to have you here for this series we're calling Soul Body. Each conversation in this second season takes us deeper into the experience of our own bodies, the collective body, the earth body, and even the cosmic body as we explore the way soul finds expression in our time. We hope what you discover along the way helps you journey a little deeper into your own soul body. In our last episode, we met a storyteller who creates life's meaning inside the stories she tells about life, about her life. They are stories that remind us that life does not follow a clear script, nor does it seem to travel in a straight line. In this episode, Dan uses a few stories and metaphors that might help you imagine the dynamic unraveling of your own soul's journey. As it turns out, even a spiritual journey can be a mess. So what's your story? Can you find its wisdom as your world spins? As I started out today, um, I want to take us on a little bit of a journey based on the conversations I had with Marjorie a couple weeks ago. And Marjorie is a storyteller. She constructs her life's meaning through the use of these stories that she begins to construct out from life's experiences. And in many ways, you know, we're all sort of like that, right? We're all in a way try to constructing this story of ours. And hopefully that story holds enough meaning and groundedness to our own life experience that we find it uh, to be a kind of a guiding principle in our lives. And so I want to spend some time kind of journeying a little bit more into the way in which Marjorie kind of helped unpack her own experience for us. And to do that, I'm going to start with a tree trunk. This is going to give you a little outline today. I'm going to start with a tree trunk. I'm going to get to the book of Job, which I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but you'll be a little bit familiar with it. Uh, today. It's a great story in the Hebrew tradition. Uh, I want to get us to a playground, and then I want to push beyond what I think of as sort of plug-and-play religion to something a little bit more dynamic, and then I want to end in the tenderloin. So that's where we're going, Woo! because I spent the few, uh, what, about 45 minutes walking the tenderloin last night, so I'm going to bring that experience back into this conversation. So let's start with a tree trunk. Uh, this week, as I've been kind of talking to people about the idea of thinking about your life not as a line, but as a circle. And when we started kind of approaching that concept of not thinking so um, linear when we think about the way in which our trajectory unfolds, but thinking more circular, you know, how is life uh, more round than that? I wanted to make sure that um, I wasn't portraying that it means you're just going in a circle over and over and over again, right? And so this uh, one of the listeners sent me a beautiful picture of a tree trunk that she saw severed at Mount Diablo. And literally, uh, snow had settled into the tree trunk to form a kind of a star in the center of that tree trunk. And I'll use that photo um, connected to this particular podcast. But it was a reminder that every time you invite yourself into the dynamics of your own kind of circle of life, you're building capacity, you know, you're expanding the self, whether it's revisiting a relationship or, um, or um, an experience you've had or, or reconnecting even with friends, whatever it happens to be, that sort of circular way in which you move around your own life builds capacity and it builds, I think, a greater 
a sense of self. And so to imagine your life a little bit like a labyrinth, that it's not just you're going in circles, which I sort of alluded to. <laughs> and sometimes I have to admit it feels like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm just running in a circle, like it's a literal rat race, and I'm in a cage, and I'm in a circle, I can't get out of this. So sometimes it feels that way, but you have to imagine that it also has this kind of expansive capacity. And just to invite you into that image of your own sense of the rings of your own inner tree with each cycle of life, you know, slowly expanding and let that kind of beautiful picture from the natural world sort of hold your soul's experience. I think it's a wonderful way to kind of ground yourself. So think in a circle and not in a line. The next thing I want to explore is um, the way in which Marjorie talked about the circles of her own life and the way in which because of some physical challenges she faced, because of a divorce that she hadn't anticipated, there were these disrupts that kind of uh, derailed her linear trajectory. And we talked about that a little bit last time. And she said that for me, uh, my spiritual journey or my soul's journey has been one where while I had hoped like many, it would be the sort of peaceful, grace-filled, unfolding, well-articulated process, I, I moved into that perspective kicking and screaming. In a sense, almost like fighting my way, not wanting to be drug into that experience. But that's what experience was putting in front of me, right? That was the life experience I was being invited into. I didn't want that. And so for her, she realized that she could even be pulled into this amazing awareness of self through the kind of, um, the, the chaotic experience that life brings. That it's not always, and for many of us, I find myself the same way, right? For me to construct a religious journey, and maybe you're the same way, I think about going on a peaceful meditative retreat, right? Or I read a great book, and I sort of line up my spiritual ducks, and I let them quack me into awareness, right? And I have this sort of sense that I'm in control of this thing as if it's my own little well-crafted journey, but really life is way more sloppy than that. Life's gonna throw you curveballs, life's gonna throw you disruptions. Life is a fickle mentor, and it's not super predictable. In fact, I think it's more disjointed and a-directional at times, right? As if you're headed in one direction and then the world shifts and you end up finding yourself in another. And that's part of the thing I want you to think about today as we spend some time in reflection. Has there been experiences in your life that have been sort of jarring and yet opened up some kind of new frontier that you hadn't anticipated, that becomes part of your spiritual journey that you couldn't have constructed if you had been in charge of your own beautiful, tender, linear self? That's something to think about for today. And I know all of us have had that experience. It, it reminds me particularly of a story in the Hebrew tradition uh, called the book of Job, which is a kind of a fantasy book dropped into the Hebrew tradition. There's a lot of history in there. There's a, you know, like a lot of poetry in there, but this one's like a fantasy story, the book of Job. It starts in the land of Uz, which is like this, like the land of Oz, right? It has this kind of feeling to it. But Job in this story has created the beautiful formulaic, perfect religion. 
And Job is adhering to religion in its perfect form. And that is in his context that the righteous, when you're righteous, you will be blessed. And the unrighteous, well, of course, they will be cursed, right? They will have a miserable life. And so Job is the perfect righteous person. He's done everything right. And it is revealed in his life because he's got everything he could ever dream of. Family, a great plot of land, uh, respect in the community, a high place in the religious system of the day. He's a political mover and shaker. Job is everything to everybody, and he's the most righteous person there is. Remember, there's a fantasy. <laughs> so, but that's the way he's constructed his life, right? So Job, everything's going smooth for Job. You know the story, right? In the matter of an instant, all of the blessing side of his scenario that was crafted out of this sort of um, formulaic sense of how religion works comes crashing down around him. He loses family, fortune, uh, physical self. He's, he's uh, literally litig- sitting on a dung heap, scratching his boils with shards of clay, right? He is misery in, he just in misery, and yet he's been the righteous one. Right? And for me, the story of Job is this sort of indicator that sometimes the spiritual trajectory is super non-predictable. Right? You can't actually count on it to work because it has its own way of working. And sometimes it's going to work you even when you think you're working it. And in, and in a way, that's what it means to be alive, right? You have to entrust yourself that it's going to work you even though you think you're working it. And then to make matters more interesting, as if you're not already interested right, in the story of Job, Job has a conversation with God at the end of the book. And uh, just, just so you know, uh, I spent, I think, a whole semester studying the book of Job. So I had this great, when I was in seminary, this great whole months of exploring the book of Job. At the end of the book of Job, God shows up and really is upset with Job. He's upset with Job because Job has misjudged how the relationship with God works and created this sort of predictable way in which it would work, almost like a tit-for-tat, right? Look, if I do this, you'll do this, right? So let's just behave that way and orchestrate our world in this sort of predictable relationship. And God says, why did you think I was predictable? Haven't you looked into creation? And, And God rallies off this list of strange creatures that walk the earth. And you're like, what is that all about? Almost like saying the earth is filled with all of these uh, bizarre oddities that are part of your life, that it's part of the creation. And you're going to have to construct a meaningful path in the midst of that mess. He points out to a few that he mentions the, uh, the mountain goats that birth their young and then basically abandon them on their own, you know, to just survive on their own. He goes, who makes mountain goats like that? I do, God says. He then talks about the wild ass. There's wild asses that you just cannot tame to do your work for you. Who creates wild asses that are so dysfunctional that they just live by their own devices and you can't tether them to the yoke and somehow till your fields? I do that. He talks about the ostrich whose feathers are a plumage that won't allow them to fly. 
and their feet are so big that they crush their eggs after they lay them. Who does that, God says. God says, I do that. And then finally he ends up with the horse, the horse, this beautiful creature who will blindly charge into battle. Who does that kind of thing? Isn't that amazing? This idea that there is a certain kind of, um, you know, absurdity to life, unpredictability to life, uh, tragic, untamed, wild side of life that is also inviting you to somehow tether your own journey to that kind of craziness, expecting that you'll discover something about yourself along the way. By the time Job ends this conversation with God, I think the story, the fantasy story, has him wake up to that reality. And in waking up to that new reality, all of his life starts coming together again. He knits together meaning again out from that sense of chaos. I believe Marjorie experienced that in her own life, right? You and I experience that in little ways every day. We might not be Job or Marjorie or whatever, but we have these moments of massive disruption that we have to learn to uh, construct a meaningful path into our soul's journey that rests inside of that. The pandemic is a perfect example in my mind. Of, I had all my plans for how I was going to work my job uh, and how it would blossom near my retirement, and the whole thing is just falling in the crapper, right? And uh, thanks for that, right? Who does that sort of thing? Well, that's the way it works. That's the Job story. So how do you live inside of that environment and maybe entrust yourself to the unpredictability of that? And, f and for Marjorie in particular, and I, here's what I invite you as well to think about, is that I think you have to know sort of the playground in which you, um, in which you play with all of that material in order to um, weave your own story together. John, that happened to me when we were interviewing you, remember? <laughs> John has a, well, we won't embarrass you, John, but he's got this little alert thing that it's in his pocket, and then he butt dials the emergency number, and then they have to talk him through his, his, the disaster. You are a perfect example of this story today, so thank you. So, I, for Marjorie, it was storytelling. Marjorie figured out, for her, she would take the crisis in her life or the disrupts and she would find in there a storyline that she would tell to herself and others again and again until out from that story emerged some beautiful truth for her. That was her method. But I think everybody has a kind of a method, right? What, what is the playground in which the relationship with the dynamic of what we see as a fickle mentor, this gift of life, what is the dynamic you use to help you layer meaning along the way, to find your way into language, to help you um, course adjust, or to gain the new insight. And whether it be uh, silent meditation, or yoga, or powerlifting, or sports, or uh, hiking in the wilderness, or walking along the beach, or I just met with a bunch of confirmation students uh, this weekend, who did these art projects. Art sometimes is an invitation to that. Poetry is an invitation to that. 
Music can be an invitation to that. You, you need to know sort of what's my playground when I stumble into the ass, the ostrich, the horse, the mountain goat along my journey of life. How, how do you navigate what Marjorie calls a sort of strange grace that really holds us all and that engages us at so many different levels? One of the ways that she constructed her playground, which is a beautiful one, I think, is she, um, because her body was compromised through the stroke that she had after surgery, she constructed these easy walks in nature and so allowed a, a quiet walk in nature to give her the opportunity to find the kind of uh, almost like earth and natural stories that she could integrate into her experience that would help her find her way. And that's why many of her stories kind of link to these sort of natural images. And she told me a few of them um, that were beautiful, but, that, but that's what she was trying to do, right? It's this sort of um, way in which you know the landscape on which the wild side of life engages you. And I think we all need to tend to that at some level. So where, where does this kind of um, possible way in which soul works, where does it take us? And, um, and today I think where it led me, and I don't know where it, where it leads you, hopefully we'll get some insight into that as we kind of move through the conversation time. But for me, it was this kind of um, requirement almost in the soul's journey to embrace what you might think of as authenticity. You know, your most authentic self. That there really is, and we've heard this over and over and over again in the conversations that we've had. April and I have been interviewing a lot of people. Obviously, you've been hearing about these conversations. But over and over again, people can't sustain a kind of a plug-and-play religion, right? It's a, and I had one, and it worked for a long time. And then, as I started hitting these kind of experiential or existential barriers, I realized that my plug-and-play religion ain't playing anymore, right? And it just couldn't keep up. <laughs> and I had to bring my authentic self to the game. And I think that, wherever you are on the trajectory, right, I think everybody sort of starts with a plug-and-play. I mean, we teach our children sort of this uh, story, and it's pretty tightly knit together. And we say, look, can you work your life inside of this story, but we know that at some point that thing's gonna have uh, some constraints that they're gonna have to move through. So bringing your authentic self to the game is super critical, I think. That somehow your, your personal soul's journey has to resonate with who you truly are. And that that's a gift not only for you, but it's a gift for all of us too, right? Because whatever spirit is or soul is or sacred is, it's manifesting inside of your experience. It, it's not this external entity that some brilliant uh, sage on the top of a mountain figured out and then said, well, let me package that up for you and then we'll hire a bunch of people like Dan to tell you how it works. That's just not how it works, right? Remember what God said to Job, right? Life is a fickle mentor. 
but that's the mentor we live inside of. So how do you bring your most authentic self, your sort of ruggedly honest self to this journey um, and realize that the dynamism of your path includes all of the wild side that life will invite you into along the way, right? those moments along the way and be and be ready for those and then as those moments come whether you experience them in your body or in your collective body or in the environment or uh, in your own personal relationships or in your own inner conversation that you have some sort of way in which you uh, not organize them but allow them to help you construct meaning along the way that to me feels like the real religious practice uh, that we need for our time. All right, so let me, and I did pretty good, actually. I pat myself on the back here because I, I don't want to always talk so much, even though God knows I can talk forever. But I moved you through tree trunk, Job, uh, playground, you know, where's the playground that you're kind of orchestrating your meaning, pushing beyond kind of a plug-and-play religion, whatever that happens to be for you. So you might have a plug-and-play that's working right now, but just trust that it might fall apart for you. <laughs> and uh, something new will come along. And then I wanted to close with this uh, walk in the tenderloin. So if you think of yourself um, and the journey you're on, possibly non-linear, but as circle, what allows you capacity to move in circle and not in line? And I think this story that I experienced last night with a bunch of uh, middle schoolers is a beautiful example of it. So we're on this middle school retreat in Danville, and last night one of the projects was we were going to go visit uh, a group called Winter, uh, I almost said Winter Nights. It's called uh, Night Ministry in San Francisco. And what these night ministers do, and they're from all sorts of different faith traditions, is they basically put on, whether it be their collar or their stole or their hat or something that identifies them as a spiritual person and they walk the tenderloin every night and they just walk and if they get into a conversation with someone they get in a conversation with someone right so they literally engage people not to solve their problems you know not to somehow get them fixed but just to be in relationship with them from you know midnight till four in the morning it's it's insane, but it's, that's what's happening. Every night in San Francisco in the Tenderloin, that's what's happening. So we got to go visit uh, the folks who coordinate that program. And they talked to us for a while. And then they said to these young kids, and I was in this group too, look, let's go walk the Tenderloin. And I thought, okay. <laughs> you know, and if you've been to the Tenderloin, you know. Uh, this is in San Francisco, for those of you who are watching who live in other parts of the country around the world, right? You're, the Tenderloin is this intense location in San Francisco where um, folks who are dealing with um, alternative housing issues, right? They do not have homes except for their tents on the street or they're living on the street. It's a, it's a very intense environment. So I was a little nervous doing this, but we were with a guide. He had his collar on. We begin the walk. The whole walk uh, we're moving into the Tenderloin, and the couple of kids were nervous, obviously, and were just chatterboxing the whole time about anything they could think of, right? <laughs> they couldn't calm down and be present for the experience. 
And so partly the walk was just helping them quiet their way down to notice what is going on in this world that they dove themselves into that they're unfamiliar with. It's a super metaphor for each of us, right? How do they quiet the chatter so you can show up? And I think that's number one. If you're going to bend your curve from linear to arc, calming down that chatterbox is, is number one. They finally started settling down, and then I think as they did, all the nuances of the tenderloin began to kind of rise up to meet them. And they began to notice things that they wouldn't have otherwise noticed. And they tended to smells and their own body's uh, experience of it, and the sounds, and the sights, and the, and, the, and the unique experiences that happened to you in the tenderloin. So we're journeying along, and I'm thinking, this is going wonderfully well, right? And the, the guy who's a clergy person has a collar. I don't have a collar on, but he's got a collar on. Is engaging some of the people just with a nod or something along the way. And then finally he turns to me, and uh, I had another adult with me too, and he says, um, I don't normally walk this fast through the tenderloin. I'm like, what? He goes, because we were walking kind of slow. We had girls with us and little boys with us. You know, we, were, we were trudging along. He goes, I walk extremely slow through the tenderloin, as if I don't have any place else to go. In that... I mean, that almost brings a tear to my eye, right? I don't, I walk so slow that I don't have anywhere else to go except just showing up for whoever I run into. And so he says, it's only then that I get invited into the real depth of conversation because we're just walking by everything, even at the slow pace we're walking. We're just walking by everything. We're not engaged at all. We're on sort of this trajectory, this linear trajectory of sort of the assumption of how this should look to us. And the only way he's able to bend his arc to really show up to the circle of conversation that might change his life a little bit again, change the other person's life, be a moment of true connection, to John's point, is to walk so slow that it appears like he doesn't have anywhere else to be except right here. And I'm afraid in our time we've all lost that pacing. And when he looked at me and told me that, I could feel my body rhythms kind of slow down too and, and I knew, oh yeah, and that's the pace I walk every day, that fast pace. So, let me leave you with that. That, uh, that notion that while I truly think Marjorie didn't invite it on herself, but got forced into bending the arc of her trajectory into a circle, and that's why she can tell a story over and over and over again till the meaning of that story finds her. Because she was forced into that slowdown mode, I think for us, if we're gonna do that, you gotta find some moments where your pacing is down to that level where you don't have anywhere else to be but right here. And then see what awareness invites you into. See what authentically showing up invites you into in that moment. Think of 
the soul's journey not as a line, but as a circle. How to show up for those unpredictable moments as if you have nowhere to go. The way we find to pause and really show up for our own story might help us absorb the creative ways our actual lives unfold. The way our own stories invite us into meaning. In our next episode, I sit down with Marjorie as we discuss our common passion for storytelling and learn more about how she finds joy on the winding path of her life and spiritual journey thus far. You may find Marjorie's peacefully healing memoir, My Liturgy of Easy Walks, Finding the Sacred in Every Day and Some Very Strange Places, on Amazon. To learn more about her, her storytelling, and her Easy Walks book series, visit the links in the show notes. This episode of Soul Forum has been brought to you by Storycatcher for iPhone, a fun and simple tool that helps you create shareable keepsake video stories. Be the documentarian in your circles. Find Storycatcher, spelt as all one word, on the Apple App Store. You may attend Soul Forum Live each Sunday morning at Creekside Commons in Lafayette, California. The 30-minute presentation is also live-streamed via YouTube and Facebook where people interact via the chat. After the live stream is complete, for those gathering in person, we then enter into a non-recorded group discussion on the day's topic. We'd love for you to join us for Soul Forum.